This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, but we didn't stop there. We combined soft and bouncy to bring you new Sweet Tarts Gummies Fruity Splits, a uniquely delicious dual-sided gummy with one side that's sweet and one side that's tart, but entirely smooth and squishy. Mmm, a powerfully perfect combo. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 139. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, Adam heads to East Dulwich to meet the guys behind Brickhouse Bakery and find out how they turned a weekend hobby into a successful business. But first up, Ellie chats to Jyoti Sohi, also known as a Samosa Queen, about her secret Samosa club the idea behind the delicious-sounding Punjabi cheeseburger samosas and why she's determined to keep updating this Indian classic. Hello, and I'm here today with Jyoti, who is a self-made samosa queen, and we're going to be talking all things samosa. So Jyoti works together with Canadian chef Rick to create intriguing and quirky twists on Punjabi cuisine. So from February the 18th, right. uh, they'll be doing a two-week residency at London's Great Guns Social with a menu featuring five different types of samosa. That's right. Yeah, five, and a... Very intriguing sounding butter chicken lasagna. So we're going to talk about that a bit later. But first off, JT, how did you and Rick meet? So Rick is actually married to my very best friend from back in Toronto. So they started dating kind of early days of university. Um, not to give away my age or anything, <laughs> but that's been about 15 years. So um, he's been part of my life since, since then, pretty much. And what sparked the initial obsession with samosas? Well, I think there's kind of twofold. I can probably talk best about myself personally. Yeah. Um, these are 100% Rick's creations. <laughs> you know, he's a bit of a mad scientist in the kitchen. Um, I think for him, it was taking something that is such a huge part of kind of Punjabi cuisine. If you If you go to any kind of gathering or dinner party, it always starts with the samosa appetizer. And it just hasn't changed much. 
mm. in I don't know how many hundreds of years, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> it's always been that way. Um, and I think you just saw a lot of potential with what can be done with this triangle. Yeah, because yeah. that is all it is, essentially, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, <laughs> it's triangle. That's what kind of makes it a samosa. Um, for me, you know, I tried Rick's Creations back in Toronto gosh, how many years ago would that be now? Six or seven years ago, he started playing with these recipes. Um, and lucky me, I got to be on the journey. Trying, <laughs> you got to be the trying, them, trying them all. I mean, the butter chicken, lasagna, uh, the butter chicken samosa mm. um, was definitely the hit back home. And every time I would go home, I've been in London now for six years. So every time I would go home, whether it was summertime or Christmas, it was... <gasps> I need samosas. I need samosas. <laughs> first things and first. Exactly. First things first. And no matter how many samosas I would eat, I would always leave wanting more. Absolutely. So I must say we do have samosas in front of us right now. So we've got the butter chicken one, the cheeseburger and the dosa, which is vegan. And I have just eaten them. Well, eaten, uh, tried them and they are amazing. So what was the idea behind the Secret Samosa Club? So the Secret Samosa Club is a collaboration between two friends. Uh, Rick is doing amazing things in Toronto and I thought it would translate really well in London. Mm. So here we are trying it out, kind of started in March, April. We launched in May. We had a lot of ideas in terms of what to call it. How does it, you know, does Rick's Good Eats make sense here in London and we actually did our first pop-up near Borough Station, not far from Borough Market, and kind of named it Secret Samosa Club because it was tucked away. Oh, so it's hard for people to find. It was quite hard to find. Um, <laughs> you really had to be on a mission. Stop people, which was great. But it kind of snowballed from there because we are popping up in different places and kind of need to follow us and be in the know mm. to... To find know you. <laughs> where the really delicious and unique samosas are. Amazing. So, um, like we mentioned before, a samosa is basically a triangle. What what else makes a samosa a samosa? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's really interesting because a lot, a lot of different cultures and communities have a pastry filled appetizer or snack. You know, you've got the empanadas from all over Central and South America. Uh, the Jamaican beef patty. You've even got pasties here, yeah. here in the UK. Um, so, in nail on the head, I think the main thing is that the samosa is a triangle. Yeah. Samosa is always a triangle. That that's definitely its differentiating factor. Now, a traditional samosa comes with diced potatoes, cumin, peas, and a bit of chili, and that's wow. kind of the traditional samosa that you would get in North India. Um, you know, even if you went to probably South Hall or, you know, the suburbs of Toronto where we have huge Indian communities, if you go to buy a samosa, that's always what it is. You that's know, it's a triangle pastry with potatoes, cumin, peas and chili. And that's it. That's it. So I mentioned to you before that um, last year I was in Kerala and we had a samosa there and it was quite different it was quite different to these samosas and any other samosas i tried before because it was almost like a salt dough crust it was a much harder crust than we might associate with a samosa um and the, this pastry is much flaky it's quite puffy but it's still quite flaky um what kind of pastry is traditionally used so i think that is can be quite a contentious question <laughs> because yeah. it really depends on you know, your background, your culture and what you've been exposed to. So, you know, ethnically, I am Punjabi. My family is from North India and, and Punjabi samosas are generally a bit more doughy 
and bread-like. Mm. Whereas, as you said, our pastry is a lot flakier, a lot lighter. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what makes them quite special. Also, the spice mix in the actual dough is is a family recipe of, of, of Rick Matharu's family, you know, oh, okay. of, his, of his mom, Mama Manjeet, who we often call the spice queen. <laughs> and believe it or not, I actually import all of the spices from Toronto because they are a family recipe, oh, wow. uh, which also coincides with, you know, our secret samosa club because those recipes are a secret. You're not going to give those away. No, I'm not. Well, they're not even going to give <laughs> yeah, them to me. They're, they're, I'm not, you know, as much as they love me and they think of me as family, I'm not quite family. You're so not quite there. Those, that spice mix comes from Toronto. And I then make the dough here, um, but the the spices and the level of everything in there, which is to me quite key as to what makes the samosa so delicious. Because growing up eating samosas, I didn't really like the dough. You know, sometimes yeah. I would open up the samosa and eat the filling, yeah, because the dough was just a bit stodgy, a bit heavy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Whereas these, I mean, I love the dough. Mm. I, like, I look you forward to eating eat the crust. The yeah, exactly. So what actually, apart from the spices, what is in the dough? Or do you, is Can't that tell you. Not, part of the secret? Not able to part reveal. Of the well, we'll just have to eat them ourselves. Exactly. I think that's the, just enjoy the only them. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on to the fillings. On the menu, there's five different variations from jerk chicken to cheesy bean burrito. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Rick came up with those. How, how does he get those ideas? Where do they spark from? I would say that it's a reflection of growing up in and around Toronto. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an extremely multicultural community. And I would say that that sense of multiculturalism is quite ingrained in in being a Canadian, especially in and around a city like Toronto, which is, you know, one of our most densely populated cities. And so many people from so many different cultures and communities come together there. And I think that the samosas are a reflection of exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of them is a Punjabi cheeseburger samosa and I've just tried that myself and it's filled with minced beef marinated with Punjabi spices mixed with cheddar cheese and a touch of red onions and it's amazing because when you cut it open or bite into it you do get that stretch of cheese you get that that's my favorite part that's my favorite (laughs) part it's very tempting with them all sat here (laughs) um have has Rick or you ever tried any fillings that just haven't worked Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, it's definitely a game of trial and error. You know, you could have a filling that is great on its own, but once you put it in the samosa and you fry it, doesn't translate mm. well. Uh, some examples of that would be a prawn and potato curry that we tried. Okay. Um, again, it tastes really good on its own. You know, often at, you know, we make the filling, we'll try mm. it before it goes into the samosa. But when we fried it, it's just the texture of the prawn <laughs> was not happening. good. Not good. Um, let me think of a few more. We also tried falafel. Oh, wow. So like double deep frying. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> didn't didn't quite work. It was Sounds very dry. Amazing. It was, yeah, it was really dry and quite difficult to ever come that dryness mm. um another one that we did try was with nutella oh because who doesn't like a bit of nutella well that's true and you do see a lot of like nutella pizzas almost don't that's you? right so, exactly yeah. i was i was actually in thailand not long ago and you know the the nutella banana mm. pancakes there are just they're divine amazing <laughs> yeah really good so we did try to work with nutella but again it just did not work well in the pastry mm. fried the texture just didn't, didn't temper well um, so definitely we're always trying new things. Rick is currently, well, it's a bit early right now in Toronto, but 
probably this week, some point today or tomorrow, is putting together, is experimenting with a UK samosa. So um, that we hope to feature at the residency. Mm, So maybe could be bangers and mash you know it could wow. be some sort of pie it could be yeah we're not we're not sure yet it's it's, mm, it's in the air work in progress working very well I look forward to that mm-hmm. um so like you said when you arrived here you've just been at London Bridge kind of being surrounded by samosas all all morning long <laughs> in my life <laughs> constantly really <laughs> yeah. um but what so what are you doing at the moment in the run-up to the residency starting um there's lots there's lots of bits and bobs you know it's spreading the word mm. you know trying to keep on top of instagram which is a full-time job yes. as many small <laughs> business owners know um as well as uh just getting the samosas ready as yeah. much as possible so you know they are them I'm, exactly i'm prepping them they're all handmade you know the samosas right now are all handmade by myself Wow. Um, I had I had a really good friend helping me, but unfortunately he's had to leave. So oh no. um, they're all made by hand wow. and you can tell that, you know, that each of them looks a bit different. And but at the same time, they they do all look quite perfect. They they all have that distinct shape. So you yeah. are an expert. I yes. can, yeah, <laughs> it took that. me it took me a while to get there. But I mean, from making the dough from scratch and then making it into the triangles and the filling mm. it's it is a labor of love yeah. you know it's it's not it's not an easy task like each one of those samosas it's like it's like my baby yeah you know <laughs> you've got to appreciate each mouthful yeah. um. <laughs> and and i do and yeah. um i just yeah. love making them because you know they're, imagine they're, they're delicious and everybody has great feedback so it kind of keeps you motivated to keep going and spreading the samosa love exactly um so as well as samosas, you've got um, lots of other dishes on the menu, including a butter chicken lasagna, which sounds incredible. So how are those ideas come up with? It's, 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 Rick, Rick. it's Rick Matharu, the mad scientist. Um, funny you ask about the butter chicken lasagna because he actually won a competition in Toronto called Recipe to Riches. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's probably most similar to a Canadian version of Master Chef where right. you're on TV and competing and that recipe won and he won $250,000 and Amazing. you know that was a huge turning point in his career in terms of being able to open a restaurant and and grow mm. and grow and continue to experiment with all of these uh yeah kind of taking classic recipes but remixing them essentially so apart from your own samosas, where have you eaten some of the best samosas? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. Um, in terms of a traditional samosa, back in Toronto, we have a restaurant called A1. Okay. I don't really know what that stands for. I've never really thought about it before. <laughs> thought about that. Uh, A1 samosas, and they do their own kind of remix of the pastry. So they use phyllo pastry. Right. Which is quite which is actually quite mm. nice because it's really crunchy and also very light. Yes. Um I mean the the filling is traditional potatoes, peas, cumin, chili. But I'd say that's kind of was the go-to yeah. prior to Rick <laughs> prior, prior to Rick's creation. <laughs> I haven't actually had a lot of remix samosas and it, you know you can find them a lot more commonly I'd say in the last couple of years, mm. but I haven't if I'm honest had any as good as as these ones. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So finally, we did mention Nutella. What are your thoughts on sweet samosas? 
Definitely. Yes. Definitely. So in Toronto, we currently have the apple pie samosa and a cheesecake samosa. Wow. Let's talk more about that. Yeah, they're excellent. So, you know, similar to the pastry we have here, I mean, this pastry is obviously quite savory in Mm. terms of the herbs and and the salt. Um, We have another spice mix for the dough, for, for the sweet for the savory samosas. Right. Um, and then the filling as well, the apple pie samosa we often get in the autumn and the winter, mm. quite seasonal. And I can talk a bit more actually about the cheesecake samosa as well yeah. because we're, we've got on the, for the residency at Greg on Social, we'll be doing a kind of a remix of the traditional Indian cheesecake, which is called Ras Malai. Okay. Which is Kind of similar to paneer, which most right. people have heard of. Um, it's paneer infused with cardamom and cinnamon served mm. in a milk syrup. Right. Very, very traditional Punjabi dessert. Yeah. So we're going to have a remix of that with a traditional kind of New York style cheesecake. Now exactly what that looks like. You'll have to come <laughs> to the residency. I can imagine that's quite intriguing because in my head, the idea of deep frying that, you'd have some struggles. But um, but I am very intrigued to try that. Yes, so, you should. Um, thank Make you, sure Jody. You're very welcome. Yeah, and like like Jody says, um, starting on February the eighteenth, uh, Great Guns Social, and you can head over there to Instagram to find out more. And it's happening for two weeks. So if you want to eat these samosas, get on down there. <laughs> thank you. You're very welcome, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, um, it's Adam, um, cooker writer, and I'm here with Fergus and Sharman Jackson of award-winning Brickhouse Bakery in East Dulwich, um, actually in the sort of like rooftops of their beautiful open bakery in Dulwich. Um, hi guys, thank you very much for uh, joining me. Good morning. Me. Um, so first of all, I'd like to talk really about how you guys got started as a business because um, I'm really interested in knowing like how you sort of scale that business up from like starting with not that many loaves and maybe having to buy big equipment and I don't know, it must be quite scary like that, that sort of starting out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we started, obviously we didn't know <laughs> whether we'd have any customers. So uh, there's always, always a sort of element of... Uh, risk and and the kind of unknown and we do get asked quite a lot about that kind of how do you you know how do you start a business how do you you know how do you do it how do you, how did you do it and um, I think we always just sort of say there's no there isn't a kind of magic formula to it it's yeah. just kind of you've got to get on with it and give it a go and mm-hmm. um, be a bit naive and have like bags of enthusiasm and yeah be prepared to work really hard well um, i think as a baker you sort of have to uh, you have to accept that yeah, <laughs> from the, from yeah, the get-go yeah. anyway and it kind of uh yeah it's it, it is a uh yeah i mean it's a difficult thing to, to sort of know how to how to answer but in terms of how how we did it um we um found like a an old garage around the corner that was um uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it used to be like a moped garage, and we were living in a flat that overlooked like this little industrial estate that was mm-hmm. uh, that we were on. Um, and yeah, I just went down there one day. I was working at E5 at the time, and uh, also at Melrose and Morgan. I had sort of two two jobs. Double um, shift, double shifting. Well, yeah. kind of. I was sort of splitting my time between doing bread and pastry, oh, um, and just because when we came back from California where I, was, where I sort of retrained um, I didn't want to have any 
danger of kind of slipping back into my old career. So I sort of just, yeah, threw myself into a couple of places just to see, yeah, right, see what, yeah. what I was going to get the most out mm-hmm. of. Um, but yeah, so we've, we found, found this place and yeah, the, this moped garage had just gone out of business. So I spoke to the landlord and we got, got the space uh, in April 2012. Yeah. And then just started kind of cleaning. I mean, it was an empty shell pretty much. So we just had to kind of clean it up. Deep paint clean it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I sort of set out to go and buy equipment. And my, I guess my theory on it was get the biggest oven you can. Yeah, so, right. So uh, your each sort of bake cycle would be shorter, if you see right. what I mean. So yeah, you yeah. have like a really small, if you're baking in a Rothko, for example, and baking 100 loaves, your bake shift's going to be really long. long. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I bought an oven which had like capacity for 80 loaves. Amazing. Um, so I could cut my bake shift down because I was literally doing everything. So delivering, cleaning, mixing, windows. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the kind of kind of theory. And we we kept that oven actually until <coughs> yeah, Amazing. just under two years ago. Yeah, and we've still got the same mixer um, that we had when we started. So you basically you just invested big, like because yeah. you knew that you were going to scale up and you'd need it eventually. So yeah. you just I mean, bought the, the. We had, yeah had had the sort of. I mean the the good thing that back then was the second-hand equipment market was actually <clears throat> pretty dead so it was relatively cheap i think we bought the first oven for like four grand yeah and the mixer for a couple of grand yeah, yeah. And now buying that same equipment would be twice the amount at least really i mean is is, is that really the prevalence of bake like bakeries yeah in London i think there's now. a lot more people kind of giving it a crack basically yeah, yeah. so the, the second-hand equipment market's a lot more yeah, feisty than it used to be. And and how long was it between like when you like trained to be a baker and then did that sort of work at E5 before you actually then made the jump and opened your own bakery? Uh, so we got back in November of 2011, and yeah, just <laughs> went kind of straight straight to work. And then uh, yeah, we got the keys I think in April, and we were open by June, like the first of June. I think yeah. it was kind of our unofficial yeah yeah sort of your birthday. birthday yeah. Um, so yeah, it was not that long, you know, sort of seven months or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and spent, you know, I probably spent a month, month and a half, kind of testing stuff and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and getting everything kind of ship shape, yeah, um, and just um, bodging it, just bodging, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose mean, because it was, you know, we'd we'd never done anything like it before, so yeah, it's yeah. just kind of what made made sense at the time. Mm. And we talk about it quite a lot actually because how. The process is still pretty much the same. You know, we've, we tweak the recipes on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. based on how the flour is and stuff. But in general, it's still, the recipes and the process are pretty much the same. Still that same loaf, effectively. Yeah, exactly. You. And we are, you know, I often sort of question whether we should change things because mm-hmm. now this has changed so much. Right. It, does it still make sense to do it as if one person could do it sort of thing? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it seems to work. So, yeah, I mean, if it yeah. if ain't broke, don't yeah, fix yeah, it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, amazing. And how how long were you, were you sort of like home baking before you wanted to train? Like, was that like what? You, how you like how how did you know that bread was the thing that you really wanted to focus on? Yeah, what? I mean, Sharm and I sort of we both worked in advertising, and we I think we were both for a while were beginning to feel kind of a bit disillusioned with with uh, our careers and yeah. a bit kind of bored. And, yeah, just not feeling particularly fulfilled. And we both have, as we were sort of talking about before, um, you know, we all 
both very, very interested in food, and we mm-hmm. had this kind of pipe dream of, of having a, a sort of family food business. Um, and I, I don't think we necessarily knew what that kind of business would be. Um, but I had been just getting very into baking bread at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I guess it was a sort of hobby that got a little bit out of control. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it spiraled quite, yeah, quite savagely yeah, now, yeah, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, and just started... You know, obviously started with I like, bought like the River Cottage bread book, was, yeah, like, yeah. The first thing, and I just started making, you know, loaves from that, and then found out about Jim Lay's No Need sourdough, and that I mean, it's not sourdough, but like, yeah, uh, that, that No Need bread, which was kind of like, yeah, I described it to someone the other day as the sort of gateway drug to sourdough because it's got that kind of really long, slow fermentation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I had, I did have a few attempts at sourdough and didn't get very far. Um, but yeah, I was just really, really got into it and found out about this course out in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, I guess like a penny, the penny dropped that that, that could be like mm. the, the way to kind of, you know, change our, yeah. I guess, change our lives a bit. We travelled to California before, and yeah. America in general, and mm-hmm. we were always really inspired by... Uh, the entrepreneurialness of, of, of people just getting up and doing things, yeah, yeah, yeah. and also just the sort of uh, the way that people are very—they're um, very—if if something's good, if something tastes good, and it's got—you it, know—they're just—they're just really behind it, and it yeah, felt, yeah. it didn't feel as sort of faddy as London can be, you know, sometimes. And so, the idea of kind of going there and and just absorbing that for a while mm-hmm. was really exciting. And, and, you know, Fergus literally went from sort of being in a in a sort of office environment to being in Chef White's in in this incredible space, which yeah. is the SFBI. Um, and he met some incredible teachers and um, other students, people who were still in contact with now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I always say this, but for me, watching him go through that process, I was, you know, he, he was actually just really good at it. And, yeah. you know, we, he was making all this stuff and we were just experiencing all this wonderful um, new flavours and new tastes. And mm-hmm. it was it was just a really exciting time. That coupled with the fact that we were, um, you know, living in this incredible environment. Yeah. Um, it was just a... It really did sort of come together. And I think when you're asking us sort of how long did the process take to actually open the doors of Brookhouse? I think we'd already made our mind up when we were there that we were going to do something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we did go through a process of sort of starting to formulate a business plan and, like, what it would be like and sort of trying to visualise it. So um, I guess learning from sort of our old careers, I guess, sort of the importance of research and and really planning things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say, do you reckon that definitely helped you guys, like, starting business, that yeah, sort of really yeah. business-minded, like, logical, methodical... Yes, yes, yes. I, yes, I yes. Kind of, we are sort of accidental business people rather yes, than, right. you know, the you kind of start wanting to do something like making great bread and then if it takes off, all this other stuff comes with it, yeah, which right. you don't actually think about yeah, at right, all. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. luckily, Sham's very sort of capable in that that regard with the with the kind of more yeah operational stuff i mean but seven years in yeah it's it starts with it starts with the passion of and the desire to do a really make a really good product mm-hmm. um and definitely you've got this idea of all the other things that need to happen around that to, yeah yeah 
you know, what it's going to be called and the branding and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. for sure. But definitely it starts with the product and the product had to be really exceptional. exceptional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which it is, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, and also we didn't want to, you know, we, we did have a, an idea that maybe there should be a cafe attached to the bakery, but mm-hmm. we were frightened of taking on too much. We wanted, again, to be really single-minded about the product and building really good relationships with other with other people that we love. So yeah, yeah. we've been fortunate enough, you know, the business started off as wholesale, trade mm-hmm. only, and we were lucky enough to literally make a list of our dream customers and Fergus went around and took the bread for them to try and it was quite sort of <laughs> it was quite a sort of terrifying moment when we actually got orders in yeah, yeah. and then there we were like just suddenly it making gets, bread got he real. Was, yeah, 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 yeah yeah it got real very quickly mm. um but you know a lot of those people are still with us and yeah, yeah. um you know we're very very proud of the relationships that we have with chefs and retailers um still now that we've had since the beginning mm-hmm. um and that really i guess kind of just really confirmed that we were kind of doing something right yeah um, yeah and i mean the range is still the core range is still the same but we've added stuff over over time and mm-hmm. when we got our own sort of our own front door i guess here at zanoria street it allowed us to sort of bring in other products and and yeah, evolve right. things i know you guys do a lot of like, sort of like weekend specials like the chocolate sourdough and yeah, like yeah. there was a whole meal on last week looked yeah. really yeah. good yeah that's yeah we've kind of i mean it's part of that is obviously trying to keep it interesting for everybody as yeah. well because it is a it can be like a pretty repetitive job and there is a kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, there's something nice about that repetition, trying to master that thing every well, day. I think that's the thing about, what I love about bread baking is that you kind of never, you're like, you think you've baked the perfect loaf and then you're like, and then yeah, you, yeah. It, all the process just starts again and you can tweak it. You can, you could have shaped it better. You could have let it prove longer. You know, there's all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. You're always sort of, it's always just out of grasp, that perfect loaf. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is, yeah, that, that's what keeps, in many ways, keeps us going. But it's mm-hmm. also good to kind of, you know, you know, vary it up Mix and it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. try different, you know, try different techniques. What's, what's your, what would you say is your favourite loaf to bake and, well, mix and bake and the favourite loaf to eat? I mean, I've, I mean, the peck and rise of our sort of signature loaf mm-hmm. um, and that kind of, that actually started its life out in uh, San Francisco. But my, I think my favourite one is the country white because it is, it's, it's in many ways like the hardest one to get, right? Mm-hmm. But when it's right, it's just, yeah. It's just great. That's the, that's my favourite kind of post post bake thing is just to cut the end of a loaf and just have that with loads of butter. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, yeah. That's the baker's it's treat. Just and of, it's still warm. Yeah, yeah. It's just a sort of that you know the crust is sort of thin but like really crispy and yeah really soft and it's like, almost baguette like isn't it sometimes yeah, it's got that sort sweet. of like yeah yeah it's not particularly yeah none of our breads particularly sour in terms of like sourdough um, yeah so yeah um, was that. Um, like a conscious effort like did, did you definitely decide on that you didn't want that sort of like real acid real, tang yeah. that, that some people go for yeah i mean if, yeah exactly i mean the bread here is the bread i like to eat basically yeah so right. and that's yeah and that's how it was kind of designed for want of a better better word was that sort of influenced by san francisco that sort of like young uh, young like call it young levan which yeah is like, yeah to, to a certain extent yeah i mean i think there's definitely like with tartines bread, for example, there's, that's definitely got like a bit, a little bit more of a tang, and I think the you know the boudin sourdough, which is like the kind of more factory version of, of the sourdough, is really quite quite acidic, quite vinegary. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
it was just yeah it was just through, through experimentation just finding out what, what we liked and yeah i suppose so. and it's like comes down to if you what, what you like to eat then yeah. exactly you know, yeah. then a, a big thing here like it obviously the business starts with bread and it's the cornerstone of the business but actually how it's evolved is kind of our love for food as well so mm-hmm. it, it is good for it, good bread and good food and now we have the cafe we get to kind of explore that we get to f- sort of show people what we think works with bread you know yeah, bread yeah. is like the center of the dish you, it's not in a bread basket here yeah and, yeah. It, and actually a lot of the people that we supply the bread to use it as part of as a component of, of the actual dish rather yeah, yeah. than in the basket as opposed on, the to side. Just on the side yeah. yeah so for us it really is about what we like to eat um and yeah we we love we eat all the bread we eat all the food you know we say, test like, everything do you, do you still like take loaves home oh, and just demolish yeah, them like, it's like, like i do and i i think also i mean for us obviously we're biased we've been eating it for a long time but mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of our customers here that we meet face to face you know once you've got that flavor in your in your head it's really hard to deviate yeah you yeah know, it's really hard to kind of have a have a different type of bread so we get a lot of enthusiasm for um for the for the bread yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that was sad. I most, I, I bake at home quite a lot, and I give it to people. And then, I think once you sort of eat it, you realise that nothing, not, other bread doesn't really compare. Yeah, yeah. Like with the complexity, the crust, the crumb. Like for me, it's it's, it's hard the, to go the, back. The, opt- the optimum, you know, is yeah. is yeah. So on that point. Um, a lot of the supermarkets are sort of starting to to sort of get in on the sort of prevalence of the sourdough thing. Like, yeah. what's what's your opinion on it? Like, I mean. Is it diluting your market, or is it making your product stand even like shine even brighter almost? I don't the know. I mean, I'm I'm not positive. It's either in a way because I think we have we have like a definite Thai audience for our product. You know, it's which is partly dictated by price. Mm-hmm. So you know, to to pay people right and use good ingredients, yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah. Of thing, you have to charge, charge a certain a bit, amount yeah. for a loaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. I think it's more supermarkets kind of riding on the coattails of things. So, you know, if they see an opportunity, they'll then, you know, kind of exploit that. Basically. Yeah, it's, tr- it's trend-led as opposed yeah. to quality product-led, exactly, maybe. Yeah. You know, a lot, of the, a lot of these sourdoughs aren't like true sourdoughs anyway. They've got a bit of sourdough culture in them, but yeah, yeah. they're also yeasted. And, yeah, for them, it's just like, you know, they, you know, them enormous businesses that are looking out for any opportunity they can. And, you know, whether it's veganuary or, or yeah. sourdough or whatever you know they're gonna you know get in on it planning ahead getting in getting in on it and mm. you know it's, it's it is annoying because you know we put a lot of hard work and effort into <clears throat> making you know a true sourdough loaf as you know not just us obviously but any any bakery and they kind of just you know fling it out um so yeah it's a bit irritating but i don't think it necessarily I think it maybe improves awareness of it as a yeah. product, but um, yeah, I don't think it necessarily would affect our our business as such. Yeah, I, I also think that from when we started, there are so many wonderful small bakeries, artisanal bakeries, you know, almost spreading the word of really good bread. Yeah. And I think we've always found it a really, really exciting thing that there's more bakeries opening because yeah, it does yeah. teach people, show people that there is really good bread. And mm-hmm. there is the supermarket bread for sure. But actually when you go to a bakery where there is care and attention and hard work put put into that loaf, yeah, yeah. it's very different to what the supermarket is sort of pushing. And I, th- I think what's interesting, we're, we're noticing definitely a trend. You know, we've ridden the gluten-free wave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I th- we feel like there's also a lot of awareness about 
you know, a whole food, slow food, you know, and bread is is coming, it's almost coming back to us yeah, in right. a way. Like yeah. there are people coming back, back who aren't asking for gluten-free bread anymore and realising that, you know, having one slice of quality bread is better than having a loaf of crap. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually... I hope, anyway, that the, this kind of excitement around really good bread continues and there are more art, artisan bakeries opening mm-hmm. um, to sort of counteract what the supermarkets are pushing. Yeah. Because I think we could fall into that trap of, like... Pandering to, like, oh, like, like you guys probably get asked, do you, like, make a gluten-free loaf or anything? But yeah. if all of your bread is based on gluten, I mean, that would be... Uh, it would be a, a, a strange step to make a gluten free. Yeah, bread. and we'd, we'd also need a separate kitchen because uh, the cross, you know, cross contamination. Yeah, flour just gets everywhere. And, you know, whenever, when people say, you know, do you do anything gluten free? We're kind of like, no, we, we are gluten lovers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, you know, set on making like a really good gluten free bread, mm-hmm. that's your passion or whatever, that's, you know, that's fantastic. Um, but it's not, it's not that's yours. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not, not where we come from. And it's not about, discriminating or anything like that it's just you know we try and stay true to what we love doing here and yeah um we love gluten (laughs) yeah yeah very Uh, very diplomatically put yeah Yeah, yeah. i mean it's yeah and i I think some people get kind of frustrated with it but yeah i mean if we were to do a true thing we'd need yeah like i say separate kitchen probably on a separate site and separate oven separate mixer it also would feel a bit like you know if we just did it here we'd feel a bit like we're sort of cashing in rather than it being something that we actually want to do yeah you cared about it for consumer demand rather than us putting our sort of heart and soul into Mm -hmm. making something really good yeah yeah fair Um, so yeah Lastly, what's next for a brick house? Is there any plans to open like any more cafes? Can you please? I've I have just moved from Camberwell to West London, so <laughs> if one in Shepherd's Bush would be absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, I mean nothing firm. Um, we'd love to be our own customer, so you know, I guess another brick house or another couple of brick houses and. Um, in the future somewhere down the line. But I think really our focus is about quality mm-hmm. and maintaining the quality yeah, right. and being this re- this thing that people can rely on for us is really important rather than scaling up. Yeah. Um, Fergus and I both feel that that's not necessarily the best thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we want the product to remain um, just fantastic, you know. Um, I mean, we are... We- yeah, we do sort of turn down business every week. If, you know, if we wanted to go down, you know, shifting everything to a big industrial estate and really cranking up production, we could do that. But yeah. again, it's not really what we set out to do no. in the first place. So, um, yeah, I sort of, I think the reason why, you know, people like Niels Yard Dairy have stayed with us is, you know, the sort of quality and consistency. And that's kind of the feedback we get from them is that, you know, the product is... You know, we don't always get it right, you know, and we're dealing with a living thing. It's bread, it is, it is a living thing. Um, So, uh, but we, you know, we sort of beat ourselves up about it if we don't get it right. Um, But yeah, that's the feedback we get from them is like it's, you know, it's quality and and consistent and that's why why they stay with us. And if, you know, when you do go large, you can't, you know, you You, can't help but compromise. Yeah. so, yeah. so what, do you, what do you think about Tartine's new like massive, massive bakery that they've I'd be, just built? Re- I'd definitely be really interested to go and see it. They, I mean, it looks like they've got a lot of people working there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've just, I mean, I've I've been sort of keeping an eye on it from a from a distance, and it looks like they've got, yeah, it looks like they've trained up a load of new bakers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be really interesting to see, but there, 
I find their oven likes boggles my mind slightly. Actually, we went to when we Shams uh, folks live in Australia, and we went to the Sonoma Bakery. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got a similar setup of these massive hoofed ten decks, yeah, ovens with their sort of automated the, loaders yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. And uh, I mean, they make an incredible product um, on that scale, you know. And they've 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 worked really hard at maintaining that that quality and consistency mm-hmm. uh, scale. So it's it's definitely doable. Um, so yeah, I, I assume that they'll they'll smash it as well. They yeah, seem, I think they, they, they do everything pretty right. Yeah, I mean they are like the the, yeah. the bench the benchmark for yeah. like quality bread. So I doubt they're uh, don't they're <laughs> yeah. taking too much uh, away from that. Yeah. Um, anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. So that was Yellow Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new February issue on the newsstand now, or go and download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. 